It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. Love aliens. For some reason, my brain was like, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Oh, no. We're in. That was an accident, but I was super into it. I liked that. Um, How are you? I'm good. Oh, I have a story for you. First of all. Oh, yeah. Hi. discretion is advised. Oh, yes. Because we say stuff, and sometimes kids shouldn't hear it. Yeah. Unless they're super cool kids, in which case it's fine. Don't finger gun on super cool kids. <laughs> I'm Maggie. I'm Kayla. And this is Mystery Team Inc., the podcast. <laughs> that was such a professional opening. I'm so proud of us. It only took us 33 episodes to get it right. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say 33 years, and my brain was like, yeah. <laughs> they haven't done that podcast in 33 years. Um, do you want to do your business, or? My business is I just have a story I want to tell you from last night. Great. Should I? Yeah, go ahead. So, Wait. One of my businesses was to give a shout-out about Oh, yeah. That. Okay, so you do that, and then I'll tell the story. Okay, the first shout-out, or the first business, is um, our really good friends were nominated for a Grammy last night. <laughs> And we're so happy for them. And so they hate the P word, but I'll say it. We're very proud of them. We're so proud of them. And that, yeah, just incredible. So um, a huge shout out to them. Their name is Bones. Uh, They go by Bones UK. So check them out. They're badass ladies that make badass rock music. And we're obsessed with them. So Bones, you did it. Bones, you did it. You got nominated Mm. for a Grammy. We love you. We love you. Okay, what was your story? So last night, we went to a bar to celebrate with them. And I went outside to have a cigarette. And this guy, like, just, like, walked up to me. And I was saying something to our friend Roman, who was walking away. And he, like, made a comment about what I was saying. And we got to talking. His name is Mo. He is a counselor for eighth graders. And then he's, we, like, got into, he started talking about, like, how the company he works for, the CEO is gay and black, too. And, like, he, like, started welling up and, like, having all these emotions. And then our other friend, Laura, walked by and I was like, 
oh my God, look at your turtleneck. And she joined the conversation and he was like, you're gay, aren't you? And she was like, very much so. And then they started talking about like coming out in the workplace. And we were having this really nice conversation on the streets in ho- of Hollywood, like in the rain. And then this giant straight white man in a hat no. walks up <laughs> and he co- he goes in the middle of Mo's sentence and goes, you guys look like you're having too much fun over here. And I want to be a part of it. <laughs> and the three of us were just like, no, this is not, it's not no, for you. This isn't for you. And then he was, and then Mo was like, I love your jacket, and like tried to button it. And it was so small, it wouldn't button. And Mo just was like, Oh, honey, you need a new jacket. And he was like, What are your names? I'm Colby. And we were like, Of course your name is Colby. <laughs> of course you're Colby. And then he, we introduced ourselves, and then I was like, I'm Kaylin. He goes, All right, Dana. Goodbye, guys. And then walked away. <laughs> And we just stood there in, like, stunned silence. And we were like, that's the most appropriate thing that could have happened while yeah. we were having that conversation. And then Mo was like, I got to go get a drink. And just, like, walked <laughs> away. <laughs> I never saw him again. That's hilarious. It was just wow. so perfectly disgusting. I kind of so, love it. Colby, if you're out there, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst part is that Colby meant well. And that's the I worst know, part. I know, and that's the worst like, part. Because, it, like, allegorically... It's makes all the sense. I know. He just like wanted to be in on the fun, but we were talking about being black and gay in the workplace. You don't get any of those. Yeah. Stop it. Um, I have more business. Okay, great. Our new shirts are out. <laughs> Our shirts are out. And stickers. I'm obsessed with them. And they're on sale. Uh on our website and if you go to our Instagram. At Mystery Team Inc., there is a link in the bio to our store. We now have black versions and white versions. And we have shirts and stickers, and we also have them. They're also available on our website, www.mysteryteaminc.com. Speaking of which, we sent out shirts to some of our favorite uh, people in the world who are our OG listeners. Mm -hmm, Our A1s. They have started arriving. We got a picture from... Chris, formerly known as Thinquarium, <laughs> who we're now on a first, first name basis with, Chris Thinquarium, as I wrote on the, the package, <laughs> and uh, he wore his shirt out to work and was like recruiting listeners, which I love. So if you get a shirt, you got to wear it out yeah. and you got to tell everybody what it is. It's not, Good luck. <laughs> it's not a PJ shirt, you guys. <laughs> It's not a big shirt to it's wear to sleep. sleep. It's not shirt. a sleep shirt. You guys gotta actually wear it. It's for everyday use <laughs> in public. Because uh, you're not embarrassed of us. And then did you see that sweet review that someone named Chaz left us? No, read it. Okay. I wasn't prepared for that. Oh. <laughs> Maybe don't read it and I'll just look at no, it. No, no, it's good. I want to read it. I just didn't have it like pulled up, which is my own um, fault. I wasn't aware that we had to turn this assignment in today. <laughs> The subject is, love it. Oh. Five stars. Me and my dad listened to this and got hooked. We've gotten everyone else in my family hooked, too. They're really funny people, and it's a great way to get your true crime fix. Oh. Yeah. So sweet. Oh, wait, I did read that because we had a whole exchange over text about how we bring families together. (laughs) Kayla was like, ah, what we do best, bring families together. (laughs) It's like, Patently I don't think that's untrue. what we do. It's canon, though, now, because that mom and her six-year-old or ten-year-old. Oh, yeah. And Chaz Dune and his family. I love it. Me Hi, too. Dune family. I don't know if that's his... Maybe that I mean, he might just name? like Dune. Oh. Maybe he is a Chaz Maybe, Dune. but that would still make them a Dune family. You're right. 
Hi, Dune family. I love a Dune family. So shout out to Chaz. Shout out. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So do we have... That's all my business, I believe. Before we get into it. I don't have Guys, welcome back to like the <laughs> actual podcast. Yeah. This is like the first episode in a, like two months that we've done that's normal like our normal format and i'm so excited i'm feeling so relaxed i feel very relieved to have finished the you know like the white whale that was the robert durst Ugh. series and now we get to relax and do some and we're gonna do a good lot of good old-fashioned mysteries, mysteries. so like mm. we unfortunately are drinking bottled beer tonight which required a lot of pre-cracking work so we won't be cracking um crack cracking excuse me we oh. have a fully expert. Kayla in-house. will be cracking the beers. Yes. Now. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. That might have been the closest <laughs> to an actual beer cracking you've ever done. I've been practicing alone in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to go first or shall I? Mm, I don't know the answer to that question. I tried to think about it on the way here, technically, and I didn't decide. I did the last episode. Yeah, so, so I should go first. Technically, it would be your turn, but you're, you know the rules of Mystery Team, which is you're always allowed to relinquish your turn. Do you want to go first? In exchange for pr- free parking. I have to give you free parking? No, you get free parking for relinquishing your turn. Oh, fuck. So if I don't But I'm go- the banker, so I'm always cheating anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, okay, good. But just so you know, those are the rules. If anyone doesn't, if if you're not familiar with podcasting, the rules are (laughs) you alternate turns, but you are allowed to relinquish your turn in exchange for an option to buy a property or free parking. (laughs) These are the little known rules of podcasting. Um, Mine's a bit of a thinker. Okay. So would you rather do yours and then think really hard about stuff? Or do you want to think really hard about stuff and then do yours? Am I going to get tuckered if I think you too hard? You might get tuckered. Oh, shit. I'm tuckered. Oh, no. I don't know the answer. I'm scared that if I think too hard, I'll <laughs> lose all my energy. Yeah. And then not be able to even do my mystery. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm presenting you with that information. Okay. You go first. Are you sure? Yeah. It's truly a thinker. Okay. This mystery is called... <laughs> That's a throwback to the old yeah. episodes because I always <laughs> used to give them names. This mystery is called The Mysterious Death of Vincent Van Gogh. Hi. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, when? When you said it was the mysterious death of a historical figure, Uh I feel like maybe that might have underplayed the fact that you were doing (laughs) Vincent Van Gogh. He's like the most historical figure. We also know how he died. The doctor was there and he fell in love with Amy Pond. (laughs) And then they took him You're into right. the future mm-hmm. to see his paintings in a museum. And then and it wasn't sad anymore. And then an alien killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why it's mysterious. <laughs> okay. Um, let's do it, I guess. I'm excited. I think I don't know anything about this. Okay. So, Vincent Willem van Gogh was born March 30th, 1853 in Zunder, Netherlands. His father was a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church. He was named for his grandfather, who was a minister also, and his grandfather was named for his uncle, who was a sculptor. Vincent van Gogh was born to an upper-middle-class family and was the oldest of six children. Wow. As a child, he was described as serious, quiet, and thoughtful. Oh. 
He left secondary school without graduating, and at age 16, his uncle got him an apprenticeship at an international art dealership called Groupil and C, which is, means and company, I believe. He began working in The Hague, but the, then was That's transferred. That's where my dad was born. I actually thought you were going to connect to this mystery because a lot of it takes place. How many tulips are there? So many. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he started working in The Hague, and then he was transferred to London, And this was described as the happiest time of his life. His brother, Theo, with whom he was close his entire life, um, Theo's wife reminisced about this time as literally said, like, this was the happiest time in Vincent's life. And he was making more money than his father was making at this time, and he was 20 years old. He became infatuated with his landlady's daughter, Eugenie, Eugenie Loyer, But he was rejected after confessing his feelings because she was secretly engaged to a former lodger. He then became isolated and depressed, so his father and uncle arranged for him to be transferred to Paris in 1875. He was dismissed from the company a year later after taking issue with the degree to which the firm commodified art. (sighs) I have a crush. I I knew you would. Damn it. In 1876, he took up unpaid work as a teacher at a small boarding school, But when that didn't work out, he left to become a Methodist minister's assistant. That Christmas, he returned home for six months and took a job working at a bookshop. Oh my God, stop it. But he was unhappy at his job, and he spent most of his time doodling and translating passages of the Bible into English, French, and German. I have such a crush. He apparently, though, at this time, became increasingly pious and monastic. Never mind. Because he just got, I think he was just, like, bored and uh, had cabin fever, and so he was just, like, reading the Bible. In 1877, to support his religious conviction, his family sent him to live with his uncle, who was a respected theologian in Amsterdam. Van Gogh prepared for the University of Amsterdam theology entrance (laughs) examination, but he failed it, and then he left his uncle's house in July of 1878. He undertook but also failed a three-month course at a Protestant missionary school near Brussels. Oh, honey, it's not your thing. In 1879, he became a missionary in a coal mining district in Belgium. To show his support for his... This is a quote from Wikipedia. You can tell because of the wording, but it's succinct, so I just, like, put it in here. To show his support for his impoverished congregation, he gave up his comfortable lodgings at a bakery to a homeless person and moved to a small hut where he slept on straw. His squalid living conditions did not endear him to church authorities, who dismissed him for, quote, undermining the dignity of the priesthood. He then walked 75 kilometers to Brussels, returned briefly um, to that coal mining district, but then gave in to pressure from his parents and moved back to Etten, where they were living. He stayed there until 1880, and his parents, like, started to get frustrated and concerned that he, How like, didn't he have a job. It's 1880, and he was born in 1853, so he's, like, in his early 20s. 1853. Mm-hmm. So he's 27. Mm-hmm. Okay, late 20s. Yeah. So that his parents got concerned and advised that he should be committed to the lunatic asylum. Mm-mm. His brother, Theo, who had worked his way up at that company that they worked at and became a manager. The, started, lot, the art company? Mm-hmm, okay. The art dealership. Started sending Vincent money to support himself. He also suggested that he take up art in earnest. Oh, so Theo. Vincent took him up on his recommendation to go study with an artist named Willem Roloff, who persuaded him to attend the Académie Royale de Beaux-Arts. He registered at the Academy in November 1880, where he studied anatomy and the standard rules of modeling and perspective. In 1880, he returned to Etten to stay with his parents. 
In August of 1881, his recently widowed cousin, Cornelia Key Vostricker, arrived for a visit. Well, is he going to marry his You know where this is going. God damn it. Van Gogh was thrilled, quote unquote, and started spending a lot of time with her. She was seven years his senior, and she had an eight-year-old son. And she was his cousin. Yeah, but this is at a time when everyone married their cousins. Um, Van Gogh surprised everyone when he declared his love for her and proposed marriage, but her response was, Nuit nin nimmer, which means no, nay, never. Yeah, love that. (laughs) Key returned to Amsterdam, and Van Gogh went to The Hague to try to sell his paintings and meet with his second cousin, Anton Mauve, who was a successful artist at the time. His cousin Anton suggested that Van Gogh start working in charcoal and pastels and, like, come back in a few months, basically. <laughs> Late in November 1881, Van Gogh wrote a letter to Johann Stricker, which is the father of Key, the cousin that he's in love with. Mm-hmm. And Key... So his uncle? Yes. <laughs> right? Well, he was writing to him about Key, but Key refused to meet him. And his uncle wrote that Van Gogh's persistence was disgusting. So he got really upset and... This is a quote. In despair, he held his hand in the flame of a lamp with the words, let me see her for as long as I can keep my hand in the flame. He didn't recall the event well, but later assumed that his uncle had blown out the flame. Key's father made it clear that her refusal should be heeded and the two would not marry, largely because of Van Gogh's inability to support himself. He is such a sad boy. It's going to get a lot more sadder. (laughs) I love the hand over the flame. It's like so Tumblr. Yeah, it's like... Let me see her. I'm just going to hold this here. So his cousin Anton took Van Gogh on as a student, and he introduced him to painting in oil. He lent him money to set up a studio, but within a month they had a falling out, and in June of 1882, Van Gogh suffered a bout of gonorrhea and spent three weeks in the hospital. After this was the first time that he painted in oils, which he bought, bought with money that he borrowed from Theo. By March of 1882, uh, his cousin Anton appears to have gone completely cold toward Van Gogh and stopped replying to his letters. He'd learned of Van Gogh's new domestic arrangement with an alcoholic prostitute, Klasina Maria Sien Hornick, and her young daughter. Van Gogh had met Sien toward the end of January 1882 when she had a five-year-old daughter and was pregnant. She had previously borne two children who died, but Van Gogh was unaware of this. On the 2nd of July, she gave birth to a baby boy and named him Willem. Oh. When Van Gogh's father... After Van Gogh. When Van Gogh's father discovered the details of their relationship, he put pressure on Vincent to abandon Sien and her two children. Vincent at first defied him and considered moving the family out of the city. But in late 1883, he left Sien and the children. Oh. The internet says poverty may have pushed Sien back into prostitution, so the home became less happy, and Van Gogh may have felt family life was irreconcilable with his artistic development because he was trying to become an artist and couldn't support them, and so she went back to prostitution to support the family. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, that he couldn't, like, handle it. And so he left. Sien gave her daughter to her mother and baby Willem to her brother. Sien drowned herself in the River Schlet in 1904. Oh, my God. This is the part which I barely touch on. This is the part where Van Gogh, like, actually becomes an artist, but everyone kind of knows, like, (laughs) Van Gogh became an artist. He started being involved in some exhibitions. He was trading work with and befriending um, Paul Gauguin during this time. He exhibited alongside Toulouse-Lautrec. He was sending paintings to his brother to try to sell through the art dealership, but no one was really buying what he was painting. 
At first, everything he was painting was super dark. It was like dark colors. It was dark thematically. And everyone was super not into it because Impressionism was on the rise. And everyone wanted bright colors. And like, and he was impressionist. A, he was painting. a Tumblr boy in a Facebook world. Exactly. Thank you. Um, but he did have, he did, I wrote, these are the years where he starts using color and big smushy strokes. Um, that's actually the term that they use the in art history. Yeah, I know. Then he begged and begged and eventually convinced Paul Gauguin to live with him and try to, he wanted to try to form like an artist collective. So he convinced him to come live with him at this home that now famously is referred to as the Yellow House mm-hmm. in Arles. That's where the alien comes. Got it. Yeah. Um, but they often quarreled and Van Gogh increasingly feared that Gauguin was going to desert him. And so the situation, which Van Gogh described as one of excessive tension, was rapidly heading toward a crisis point. And the crisis point, of course, is the severing of Van Gogh's ear. We don't have a fully corroborated story of what actually happened there, but here's what Wikipedia says. Van Gogh returned to his room where he was assaulted by voices and severed his left ear with a razor, either wholly or in part, accounts differ, causing severe bleeding. He bandaged the wound, wrapped the ear in paper, and delivered the package to a woman at a brothel that Van Gogh and Gauguin both frequented. See, I never knew this, but he gifted his ear to a sex worker that he had some sort of relationship with. I mean, like, I assume it was, like, a proprietary relationship, but he was, like, I think in love with a sex worker. So he gave her his ear? Yeah. You've heard this story before. Have you not heard this story before? I haven't heard the part where he gave it to a sex worker. Really? Well, hadn't you heard that he cut off his ear and gave it to his girlfriend as a gift? I All I knew was that he cut off his ear. Oh. What's weird is, like, the, the story that you normally hear in accounts of this is that he cut off his ear and gave it to his girlfriend as a present. Well, that's... Be- and that's when everyone was like, oh, he's mentally ill. But it Maybe turns out that his history girl. just whitewashed. Well, yeah. history whitewashed. History him. was like, tell he, the kids it was his. Girlfriend. She may have been his girlfriend, but history what like white or it's not yeah. technically whitewashing, but history they like p they made it PG. Yeah, basically. I mean, that's not particularly PG, but because he cut an ear off, but but th- this is what that's what I mean. It says a lot about what our society considers appropriate for children. Yeah, where they're like he cut his whole ear off by like, himself. Gory violence is like way more acceptable than sexuality, but that's fine. Um, I will not got to get on this soapbox, girl. You carry that soapbox around with you. But I am curious if you grew up between if you went to like let's say school. Between, like, 1950 and, like, the year 2000. And you heard this story as, like, Van Gogh cut off his ear and gave it to his girlfriend. And you have anything to say about this. Please write us an email. Because I'm curious. I feel like this story is very prolific or, like, it permeated a lot of culture. But now I'm hearing that you've never heard it. So I'm wondering I know, if but I, I had some I weird exposure I don't remember to my it. childhood. That's fair. <laughs> so. so if you know what I'm talking about, write us an email. Okay. Um, he was found unconscious the next morning by a policeman and taken to a hospital where Felix Ray, a young doctor still in training, treated him. The ear was delivered to the hospital, but Ray did not attempt to reattach it as too much time had passed. Van Gogh had no recollection of the event, suggesting that he may have suffered an acute mental breakdown. 
The hospital diagnosis was acute mania with generalized delirium. And within a few days, the local police ordered that he be placed in hospital care. During the first few days in the hospital, he asked repeatedly for Gauguin, who had told the police, quote, be kind enough, monsieur, to awaken this man with great care. And if he asks for me, tell him I have left for Paris. The sight of me might prove fatal for him. He had fled Arles and would never see Van Gogh again. Oh. Although they would continue to correspond via letter for most of the rest of Van Gogh's life. He returned to, Van Gogh returned to the Yellow House where he suffered hallucinations and delusions until a neighborhood petition signed by 30 neighbors to, to the police referring to him as Le Fou Roux, meaning the redheaded madman, surfaced. And then he voluntarily returned to the hospital and then two months later, he left Arles and voluntarily entered an asylum in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, which is where we know he famously goes on to paint 150 paintings, many of which are considered his masterpieces. Van Gogh gave his, 19, his 1889 portrait of Dr. It's called Portrait of Dr. Felix Ray to Dr. Ray. Oh. The physician was not fond of the painting and oh. used it to repair a chicken coop, then gave it away. Stop it. In 2016, the portrait was housed at the Pushkin Museum of Fine Arts and estimated to be worth over $50 million. Can you imagine being one of his descendants? That's what you fucking get, dude. That's what you fucking get when an artist gives you a gift and you're like, thanks, I hate it. And you use it to repair a chicken coop. Thanks, I hate it. And then give it, it away. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's what you fucking get, dude. If you're like, Grandpa doesn't come to Thanksgiving anymore because he <laughs> gave away a Van Gogh painting. <laughs> Actually, I want to keep, can we keep this in mind for the rest of the story? Because when I was writing it, I kept thinking that I wanted to mention it. Every character that Van Gogh interacts with from here on out, just like imagine what that must have been like. Just like think about it or like to retrospectively know, like knowing what we know. Okay. So he went into the asylum where he painted some of his most prolific works. Um, I don't know if you know this. I feel like it's a well-known fact, but then I, I don't I don't trust anything anymore. Starry Night is actually the view from his room at the asylum, which is super cool. I apparently don't know anything about Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I made a note here to talk about, like, mental health care and... I like put that note in and I kept researching and then I was looking at watching the BuzzFeed Unsolved about this and I was scrolling through the comment section. I can't remember why. And someone left this comment and I thought it was really succinct and I wanted to include it. Jesse Ivy wrote, interesting how Van Gogh is given the tortured artist stereotype when his paintings came out of a time when he was mentally healing. One of his most famous paintings came from a time of great joy when his nephew was born. It's sad how his mental troubles are romanticized when instead his healing could be admired because he painted all of his so masterpieces true. when he was in the asylum. Yeah. And we, the, which means you're like working on your the shit. Co- yeah. The collective story that we have is like, he was, that was when he was like in the depths of his delirium and he was super tortured and fucked up. And he was like painting these beautiful paintings were like coming out of his pain. And we do know that he said the canvas can say things that I can't ever say. And that, a lot of it was about like lo- deep, deep loneliness because he felt very isolated. That was like a running theme of his depression throughout his life. But I do think it's interesting that we do, we look at it as like he painted this stuff when he was like a tortured artist and we romanticize that mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at it as like 
him finally being able to express himself and yeah. like being taken well taken care of and working on himself. Being in a safe place. Right. Yeah. And healing and yeah, super interesting. For the first time ever, thanks, YouTube comment section. <laughs> For the first and last wee, time. Wee, wee, wee. <laughs> what is that? That's the first ever thanks YouTube comment section. <laughs> okay is that gonna be it that's our alarm yeah from now okay. on if it ever happens again i doubt it will in 1890 his work started to gain some praise one newspaper described him as a genius he was invited to participate in an exhibition but henry degru insulted his work at the exhibition quote toulouse lautrec demanded satisfaction and signac declared he would continue to fight for van gogh's honor if lautrec surrendered DeGruy apologized for the slight and left the group. Later, while Van Gogh's exhibit was on display with the artiste indépendant de Paris, Claude Monet said that his work was the best in the show. Aww. So, because Toulouse-Lautrec and Van Gogh would often present together mm-hmm. um, at exhibition, and this one fucking artist was like, boo, Van Gogh's <laughs> stuff sucks, and Toulouse-Lautrec like, threw, was like, I slap you with my glove, sir. Like, I demand satisfaction. I challenge you to a duel. And then one of Van Gogh's other artist friends was like, and if he fails, I'll demand satisfaction. And then the artist was like, sorry. And left. Sorry. So funny. Um, Can I just play devil's advocate? Like, he's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Colby. It was Colby. It was Colby. But also, can we just imagine Toulouse-Lautrec? Because <laughs> we just... I mean, I often picture Toulouse-Lautrec as he's depicted in Moulin Rouge, but, um, <laughs> but like, we do know, I mean, he just, yeah, Toulouse-Lautrec was, he, like, fell off a horse when he was young and broke all the bones in his legs, and they never healed properly, so he had, like, a weird gait, he was, like, four or something, <laughs> and he was always, apparently always, like, dressed to the nines, and so I just imagine just that like this guy little wobbly man being, like... like I challenge I you to demand duel. satisfaction. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I demand satisfaction. Say um, it in French. Je demande satisfaction. That is not how you say it in French. Yeah, probably. French is a made-up language. <laughs> I don't believe it. It would be je demande, I think. Um, yeah, that's great. I love that image. I would like to read a short film about that scene. <laughs> so, okay. Um. Aha. In May of that year, he moved to Auvers-sur-Oise, which is a suburb of Paris, to be closer to his brother Theo and to a doctor who was also an amateur painter Aww. who had been recommended to Van Gogh to treat him. Um, his first impression of Dr. Gachet was that he was, quote, iller than I am, it seemed to me, <laughs> or let's just say, let's say just as much. <laughs> Good match. So now we get to Van Gogh's death. After lunch on July 27th, 1890, Vincent Van Gogh left the Ravu Inn, where he was staying, with his easel and his painting supplies. The guests of the inn were sitting outside having dinner after sunset when Vincent returned. He shuffled past them without exchanging any words. He also had none of the belongings that he left with, and his jacket was buttoned all the way up, despite the fact that it was a warm July night, which is why everyone was sitting outside having dinner. Mm -hmm. The owner of the inn, Gustave Ravu, went up to Vincent's room to check on him, found him curled up in his bed, and when he asked him what was wrong, 
Vincent replied, I wounded myself, and then lifted his clothing to reveal a bullet hole under his (gasps) ribs. Two doctors were called in, but there wasn't much they could do because the bullet had not exited Van Gogh's body, and they weren't surgeons, so they couldn't remove it. Theo arrived the next day to find Van Gogh in good spirits, laying in bed, smoking his pipe. But he soon began to deteriorate and told Theo, I want to die like this. He then succumbed to an infection as a result of the wound and died at the age of 37. There was no autopsy. The exact location of the shooting was never identified. And there are five hours between when he left the inn and when he returned that are unaccounted for. Also, the easel and the supplies that he left with were never recovered. (gasps) The accepted theory is that Van Gogh shot himself. And according to Adeline Ravu, the 13-year-old daughter of the innkeeper, she said, quote, Vincent had gone toward the wheat field where he had painted before. During the afternoon, as my father understood it, so we already know this is secondhand information, Mm -hmm. Vincent shot himself and fainted. The coolness of the night revived him, which doesn't track because we know it was a warm night in July. Yeah. On all fours, he looked for the gun to finish himself off, but he could not find it. Then Vincent got up and climbed down the hillside to return to our house. Witnesses recalled Vincent saying, I wounded myself in the fields. I shot myself with a revolver there. Do not accuse anyone. It is I who wanted to kill myself. Which seems weird. Because you could say, like, I wounded myself, I shot myself, but why would you make a point to say, say don't, don't accuse, accuse anyone. anyone? Yeah. Um, but when the police asked him if he intended to commit suicide, he seemed confused and said, I think so. Which is about as, like, inconsistent of an answer as you could possibly give when asked that question. Yeah. Um, I want to pause and just give a trigger warning for suicide because we're about to discuss suicide more in depth. And so I just want everyone to be mentally prepared. So here's more issues with the accepted theory. Vincent was shot in the abdomen below the ribs, which is a weird place to shoot yourself yeah. if you're trying to commit suicide because you would normally aim for, I'm, I'm not going to like give, explicitly yeah. give suicide instructions, but you would normally aim for an organ that would speed up the process. Yeah. And or guarantee it. Right. Um, the fact that the bullet didn't exit his body suggests that there must have been some distance between yeah. the gun and himself probably more than physically makes sense for him to have fired it. Then he dropped the gun so far away that when he awoke from his brief fainting that he couldn't find it. Yeah. Did he just like throw it to his left really far? If he had in fact passed out for five, five hours after shooting himself, then when the time he got back to, by the time he got back to the inn, his clothing would have been soaked Soaked with with blood. blood. Yeah. Because if he passed out and was just bleeding out in a field, Mm -hmm. even if he was on his back and shot himself from the front and blood was like pooling in his internal organs, it still would have, his clothes would have been soaked. Um, Also, why would he bring his easel and his art materials out to the fields if he was planning on committing suicide? Maybe he wanted to paint one last time. No one knows where he obtained the supposed revolver from. And it was never recovered. Revolvers were super rare in Auvergne at the time, and no one ever copped to selling one to him or lending one to him. The next day, no one was ever able to find a gun near where Vincent claimed to have shot himself, or any forensic evidence of the crime mm-hmm. in the wheat fields. And his painting gear was gone. And 
Vincent was super religious, remember? Oh, right. He condemned suicide throughout his life. He called it wicked and said it was a demonstration of moral cowardice. And as we know, Christians generally, as a rule, believe that suicide is a sin and and that you'll go go to hell hell if you kill yourself. He even said at one point, I really do not think I am a man with such inclinations when someone brought up suicide to him at some point. But he did add at some point, I can understand people drowning themselves. I know, which fucking got me. But he literally said at multiple points throughout his life, like, I would never kill myself, basically. Mm -hmm. And he believed it was morally wrong. Um, They also, Theo, sorry, Theo also found no evidence that Vincent was planning on killing himself. Not only was there no note, which seems weird, especially because he corresponded with Theo via letter constantly, and Mm -hmm. it just seems sort of more in line with his personality. Um, But there were drafts of letters on his desk that contained information that Theo believed he would not have wanted anyone to read. Like what? Well, I don't know that information because I'm sure Theo just like took him and hit him. But he like said later, like, it doesn't make sense that he would have drafts of unsent letters with like personal information in them that he would just leave on his desk. And just like go out to the wheat field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Van Gogh biographers Stephen Nafe and Gregory Whitesmith have another theory. When he was living in Auvers, Vincent was considered a neighborhood eccentric. When he would ask neighbors to sit for him, they usually ran away. Like, he would ask them to model for him, and they would, like, run away. He was also tortured by a group of local teenage boys who liked to pull pranks on him. They put salt in his coffee. They rubbed a chili pepper on the end of a dry paintbrush that he used to suck on when he was painting. Oh. And they one time... Put a fucking snake in his box of painting supplies. <laughs> That's so mean. Is that horrible? Ew. And because he was missing an rush. ear and had like crazy hair and was delirious sometimes and was like a drinker and was like the weird old the weird guy. He was only 37, but he was like the weird guy that paints. They just like were really mean to him. What garbage humans. Fucking teenage boys, dude. I hate teenage boys. They make me so nervous. It's because they're going to put, like, a snake in your boot. (laughs) Please don't put a snake in my boot. I actually would not mind that. Then I get a snake. You would squish it. No, I love Because you wouldn't know. You would love If I ever start being bullied by a gang of teenage (laughs) boys, I will always check my boots for pets. (laughs) Stay in your lane. Check your boots for smooches. Okay. Um, There was a teenage boy... The older brother of one of the ruffians who would tease him. <laughs> ruffians. One of the teenage boys, the older brother, was named Gaston Secretin, and he was no an aspiring artist. one prank like Gaston. <laughs> um, Gaston was an aspiring artist, so he loved to hear Vincent's stories about the Parisian art scene and working living in the house that would be so cool but van gogh wasn't anybody yet so that's what this is what i was like Uh, remember from now on when he interacts with people this like van gogh was nobody he sold like one painting his entire life and this kid he really looked up to van gogh but his little brother who was one of the ruffians named rené secretin was i wrote a nasty brat (laughs) (laughs) he didn't care about art 
he liked fishing and hunting. Ugh. And he once remarked about Van Gogh, our favorite game was making him angry, which was easy. After seeing Buffalo Bill's Wild West show in Paris, Rene came back to Auvergne with a full Western outfit, complete with a 380 caliber pistol. Interesting. Van Gogh referred to him as Puffalo Pill, which is a mispronunciation due to his accent, because oh, he's Dutch, yeah. and this is in Paris, and that pissed Rene off. We know. Also, Puffalo Pill is pretty funny. It's cute, I think, but he was trying to, I think, like, encourage yeah, him. he's probably like, look at you, oh, Puffalo Pill. Puffalo Pill, and he was like, it's not Puffalo, you asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hate that voice. Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> so Check your boots. <laughs> The authors of this biography speculate that Vincent may have quarreled with the boys around a farmyard on Boucher Road and that Rene may have accidentally shot him. Either accidentally on purpose, like was threatening him or like firing near him just Mm -hmm. to be an asshole and hit him by mistake. Um, And then Vincent could have stumbled home and covered for them to protect them from being charged with a crime. Yeah. The boys could have then freaked out and grabbed all his painting supplies and uh-huh. hid them to hide the evidence. Yeah. Also, I realized that Gaston was an aspiring artist, so maybe he kept <gasps> his easel and supplies. My heart. This theory is supported by the fact that multiple witnesses saw Van Gogh leave the inn, and he headed in the direction of a hamlet not toward the wheat fields, where he claimed to have been painting. The road that he went down also leads to a spot where Rene used to love going fishing. Um, perhaps the brothers met Vincent on their way back down the road and then accidentally shot him. And that would have made it easier for Van Gogh to have gotten back to the inn with a bullet hole in his abdomen instead of the mile long trek from the wheat fields. Yeah. After having fainted for five hours. And just been bleeding for, right. Yeah. Also, right after the shooting, Rene, Gaston, and their father left town. When they returned, Rene, who rarely traveled anywhere without his pistol, no longer had his gun. When That's he was completely asked about normal it, and fine. When he was asked about it decades later, he claimed that Vincent stole it from him. And then put it where? I don't know. And here's the thing. That is plausible. Vincent could have taken the gun away from him and then taken it out to the fields to attempt suicide. It's possible. It's not likely. I know. I just (laughs) had a full flashback. But it's possible. It's not likely. But it's really not likely. It's really not likely. Like, the suicide story is plausible. But it doesn't make any fucking sense. Also, this is the end. (laughs) In the 30s, when Van Gogh's work started to gain notoriety, um, an art historian went to his town to do research, and townspeople told the art historian that young boys shot Vincent by mistake as on accident, and that Vincent protected their identities for fear they'd be accused of murder. They were like, yeah, that's what happened. So for me, that pretty much explains it. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sold on that theory. But we'll never know. He is a better man than I. Mm -hmm. Because if some little fucking punks put snakes in my boots. Yeah. Shot shot me. (laughs) I'll be like, it was that fucking asshole. (laughs)
was so like what a kind human to be like don't accuse the children yeah. and the children are like yeah i don't give a fuck they're like buffalo bell hey, pew, pew 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 or it's not pew i guess it would be like bang bang why is it not pew because that's like light that's like um laser guns or like pew pew huh i've never thought about that before yeah real I guns s- don't go pew that's just like the the noise that like a blaster makes I guess it's because I don't ever think about real guns. <laughs> That's because fair. I'm scared of them. That's fair, and you should be. And I do think of about lasers all the time. That's also fair. Pew pew. <laughs> <laughs> pew pew me. <laughs> so that's the mysterious death of, and also the whole life of Vincent Van Gogh. I hate Renee. Me too. Isn't that so interesting though? Yeah, I can't believe first of all that I don't know anything about Van Gogh. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew that you Who knew, knew that I knew about Van Gogh? Uh, that's an intro. That's such a good story. It really is. Also, I love hate that he lived with that prostitute. Sorry, that he lived with that sex worker, and he wanted to like have a family with her. And, and then his dad was like, she no. named, He met her when she was pregnant, and she named her son after him. And they like had a little family. So and then his dad was like, "You're absolutely not going to marry her." And then he couldn't support them. And then Which after all that. And then she, Ophelia, and then after all that, he was like, suicide's horrible, but I can understand what Cian went through. Doesn't that ruin your life? A little bit. I I don't, I might have a crush on him still. I don't think you do because, you know, like other men at the time, he just also was a, a dude. Like, I don't think he was, like, a there, great romantic. No, he did, like, propose to his cousin. Being a dude and, is an automatic disqualifier and then when she said, <laughs> And then when she said no, he, like, stuck his hand in a yeah. lamp. He's a t- Truly, that's... Yeah. He's a Tumblr boy. Yeah, he is. He started out as a Tumblr boy, and then it became a mental health issue. Yeah. But it was, like... Um, oh, yeah. And I, I made that note, but I never actually talked about it. About, like, the fact that he voluntarily checked himself in huge. for help. and Huge, if true. Huge, true. if true. Huge, and um, true. And, yeah, I just wanted to, like, give a shout-out to, like, recognizing your mental health and that there's no shame or stigma around... I mean, there is stigma, but there shouldn't be. There's no shame in getting help for mental yeah. health issues. And especially if you're ha- having hallucinations or having fits of delirium like he was like definitely you should talk to somebody mm-hmm. even if you're just sad you should talk to somebody even if you're not you should talk to somebody i do i think everybody should be in therapy i and agree. should be subsidized by the state it really should especially be. in la i go to therapy every week and i'm like pretty happy these days my therapist is on maternity leave she'll be back soon selfish she'll be glowing i'm really curious what she's gonna name her baby because <laughs> we got in a fight about it in the last session <laughs> because she was like, I want to name him Willow or something like that. Not Willow, but some like cute alternative name. And she was like, but then one of my other patients said that that was ugly. And I was like, don't <gasps> fucking listen to them then. Don't listen to them. Uh, and she was like, well, maybe they're. And I was like, okay, we're going to roll reverse for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Don't let your ding dong patient decide your baby name. No, not even you. Not even me. But I did have a very strong opinion about it. <laughs> Also, when she told me she was pregnant, I was really excited. And then a few weeks later, she was like, it's a boy. And I was like, no. 
That's hilarious. I said that to her face. That's really funny. We have a great relationship. I miss her. Come back to me. She'll be back soon. Yeah. So yeah, you should. Everyone, go get a therapist. I sincerely. I mean, it is that. so expensive. Go talk to some. If you can, if you have the means, go talk to someone. Yeah. And if you don't, just like talk to someone. Literally, just talk to someone. Or you could go on the internet and. Yeah. Um, What's that? Um, that app that they add there's on- Doctor on Demand, which is the one that like Doctor Phil's son created, where you can like text a therapist. No, you can video chat. What about for people who don't like that? Um, there, there is, is a text one where app. you can text a therapist, which is basically what I need. You should text your therapist that's on maternity leave. No, she's about to squeeze a baby out of her vagina. Talkspace. Is that what I said? You didn't say anything. What did I say? <laughs> you said I don't remember. I feel like you I, said, that's what I need. I heard I. I heard myself think a name. <laughs> I can't wait to listen back to this. Um, talk space. So yeah, definitely. If you can't afford um, a traditional therapist, talk space, better help, doctor on demand are all reputable. And I'll maybe post a link in the show notes to this article of the nine best online therapy programs. <gasps> yeah, please do that because I want it. Yeah. So I would like to go into the show notes for our episode in yeah. a few days. <laughs> and also, please, um, when in, when the time comes, vote for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, let's get some subsidized mental health care. And all Is that healthcare. too radical? I know. We can't even get regular diet, like, the kind of health care that even people who don't understand therapy would consider necessary. Yeah. We can't even get that. Yeah. So it's going to be an uphill battle, and we need you all to vote for mental health subsidies. Yeah, when I got this cold, I was like, if I get a sinus infection, I'm going to go broke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, should we take a break? Yeah. Okay, we'll be right back. Break. After these messages. Messages. What you doing? My beer's stuck in my koozie. <laughs> jacuzzi. <laughs> Can we make koozies that say jacuzzi? Yes. <laughs> Here, let me help you. I almost got it. I must There's a lot of beer left in there. Yeah. <laughs> you have to drink the beer first. <laughs> I snotted. <laughs> you made me ink. You guys made me ink. Oh, hi, Kat. Let me do it. Will you put this one in? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The changing of the keys. <laughs> it's an age-old tradition. Beer as old as time. <laughs> Beer as it can be. Barely even beer. Then you have a beard. And the sun will rise. <laughs> you jumped verses. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Generally, yeah. Did you have a mystery? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to make you think about the Fermi paradox. Mm-mm. Do you know what that is? No, and I already hate it. Okay. I'm so glad you don't know what the, you. I think you probably know what it is, but you maybe don't know the name. So, in 1950. Oh, it's this. You tell Don't the, say it. Is it this? <laughs> what? Um, You ask the Sphinx. Yes. Oh, is it? Yeah. Really? No. <laughs> Are you thinking of the one that's like, you one just, of them tells you the just truth. told me the answer yeah, like two them, days ago. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not that because there's an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 1950 at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, <gasps> Enrico Fer- Fermi and his co-workers Emil Konopinski, Edward Teller, and Herbert York were having lunch. They then had a conversation that went one of two ways. They're like, they like can't remember. Schrodinger's... Schrodinger's lunch. Lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So they were talking about a recent, one of them is, they were talking about a recent bout of UFO sightings. And Fermi was like, Edward, what do you think? How probable is it that within the next 10 years, we'll have clear evidence of a material object moving faster than light? And Teller, who was a nerd, said 10 to the sixth, which is one in a million. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, we got to start saying that. Yeah. 10 to the, that's a very xenon. Yeah, it is. And Fermi said, this is much too low. The prob- probability is more like 10%. That's one version of the beginning of the conversation. Years later, Emil Konopinski said that the conversation happened because they were sitting at lunch and Fermi all of a sudden out of nowhere said one of these three things. He either said, where are they? Which is what Teller remembers. Or he said, don't you ever wonder where everybody is? Which is what York remembers. Or he said, but where is everybody? Which is what Konopinski thinks. York wrote in 1984 that Fermi then followed up those questions with a series of calculations on the probability of Earth-like planets, the probability of life um, on that Earth, the probability of (laughs) humans given life, and the likely rise and duration of high technology and so on. Mm Mm-hmm. He concluded on the basis of such calculations that we ought to have been visited a long time ago, many times over, by intelligent extraterrestrial life. So, <clears throat> the Fermi paradox is, based, is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations elsewhere in our galaxy and various high estimates for their probability. Okay. So, mathematically... There should be a lot of intelligent civilizations in the galaxy based on some estimates. So why have we not seen or been contacted by them? Oh, no. So. I already made my brain hurt. It gets worse. So. It gets worse. In 1961, um, Frank Drake wrote the the Drake Equation. Not necessarily for purposes of quantifying the number of civilizations, but basically as a way to stimulate scientific dialogue at the first meeting of SETI. Nice. The Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Um, It's meant to be an approximation of how many civilizations could theoretically, should exist in our galaxy. Um, So it's... N is the number of civilizations, and then you get it by multiplying the average rate of star formation in our galaxy by the fraction of those stars that have planets, 
by the average number of planets that can potentially support life per star that has planets by the fraction of planets with life that actually go on to develop intelligent life by the fraction of civilizations that develop a technology that releases detectable signs of their existence into space by the length of time for which such civilizations would release detectable signals into space. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of disagreement on the values of what these parameters would be. Um, In 1961, the educated guess that Drake and his colleagues made was that there was one star formed per year. Um, One-fifth to one-half of all stars formed will have planets. One to five stars with planets will have... So one to five stars with planets will have... Like one out of five stars with planets. One out of five stars with planets will have between one and five planets capable of developing life. One of those planets will develop life. One which will also develop intelligent life. Um, 10 to 20% of which will be able to communicate and it will last somewhere between 1,000 and 100 million years. This gives an estimation of 20 civilizations. Um, it's criticized a lot now like because... in existence? In our galaxy. History? 20 civilizations in our galaxy throughout history. Okay. Throughout should theoretically all the time, exist. Should theori- theoretically have existed or exist now. Or will exist? No. Okay. Just from Big Bang to now. Copy. So it's criticized because the last four parameters are unknown and very hard to estimate. Um, so there's a huge range of answers for N. Um, their low-end estimate uses NASA's star formation rate of 1.5 to 3 stars per year. And then the rare Earth hypothesis numbers for the fraction of stars that have planets and the number of planets that go on to develop life. Um, And I'll tell you about the rare Earth hypothesis later. But that gives an N of 9.1 times 10 to the negative 13th, which means we're absolutely alone. Right. And then there's another estimate that uses more optimistic values, and that returns an N of 15,600,000, which is very different. That's a lot. So, but Drake the whole time was like, it's just like for the nerds that I know. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not for real calculation. I was just trying to get people to think about how we need to think about this. (laughs) So, the paradox goes, there are billions of stars in the galaxy that are similar to the sun, and many of these stars are billions of years older than our solar system. With a high probability, some of these stars have Earth-like planets, and if the Earth is typical then some may have developed intelligent life. Some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, a step the Earth is currently investigating. So even at the slow pace of currently envisioned interstellar travel, the Milky Way galaxy could be completely traversed in a few million years. So where are they? Um, Where is everybody? Where is everybody? (laughs) But where is everyone? (laughs) So there are two, like, main questions that make up what people are researching with the Fermi paradox. There's one that's, why is there no sign of other intelligent life here on Earth? Um, Because even with the level of space travel that we've gotten to, like, if that's, like, if all of the space travel that we can currently imagine with our technology, it would take from 5 to 50 million years to colonize the galaxy, which is relatively small on a cosmological scale. Um, 
And since there are a ton of stars that are older than our sun by like a billion years, it doesn't make sense that a civilization wouldn't have developed and then figured it out and gotten here in that time. Right. Or even like explored using a probe. Right. And then there's outside of our galaxy, why haven't we seen any evidence of intelligent life in like the observable universe? Because a sufficiently advanced intelligent society would potentially be observable over a fraction of the observable universe. And even if those civilizations are rare, they should at some point in the history of all time existed. Yeah. And we would be able to detect them if they were sufficiently advanced. Um, So we have a lot of potential sites of origin that would be in our range of observation. So why... (laughs) Where are they? Where is everybody? So then in 1975, a man named Michael H. Hart published a super detailed examination of the Fermi paradox. Um, So Fermi is the one who was like, where are they? And then Michael H. Hart was like, I have a lot of a lot more questions. Yeah. So some scientists say that it should be called the Fermi-Hart paradox. Mm -hmm. But I don't really like Michael H. Hart. And I will tell you why. Because that motherfucker is a huge downer. So the paper is called An Explanation for the Absence of Extraterrestrial Life on Earth. He starts out by calling out what he refers to as fact A. What he calls a, quote, clearly empirical fact of great importance. And that is, there are no intelligent beings from outer space on Earth now. There may have been visitors in the past, but none of them has remained to visit or settle or colonize here. Clearly, he did not listen to our episode about the Draconians. And he's never seen an episode of Ancient Aliens. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Because every single episode of Ancient Aliens is like, why does a story about a flying snake reptile god coming down from the heavens exist in Lima, Peru, and also India? Could it be that these flying snake gods from the heavens were actually extraterrestrial life? Ancient astronaut theorists say yes. He allows for the possibility that, like, aliens have come here and then been like, nah, Fuck never that. mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he says there are four categories. Yeah. Well, how short is it? Because if it's not long, we should read it at the end of my... Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't think it's that long. I'm going to pull it up and we'll maybe get, when we get to it at the end. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's short, pretty short. Okay, great. Do you want to read it together? I absolutely do. Great. Do you want to do it now? I don't know. Would it be better to do now or at the end? No, let's do it at the end. Are you sure? Let me read it and see. I just sent it to you. I found it. Oh, it's kind of long. It's not. It's like not it even a full with, page. And why not? Imagine how. Long. Yeah. Let's do it at the end. Okay. Okay. I did a lot of math for this. Okay. And by that, I mean, I just like played around with all the equations for fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, okay, so four categories of explanations for fact A. Number one is physical explanations, um, which are any explanation that says explanations, all explanation that is like, for some reason, they decided to just not go there. Mm -hmm. There being Earth. Three is, I I truly, it's fine. (laughs) Save yourself. Um, Three is temporal explanations, which is um, any explanation that is basically like 
there's an advanced civilization that wants to come meet us. They have the means and the space travel ability, but they just haven't gotten here yet because it's so far away. Yeah. Like um, the premise of our um, space series. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and number four is Earth has been visited by extraterrestrials, but we do not observe them here at the present. Right. He concludes that the fact that we, like, haven't seen them or that they're not here means they don't exist, mm-hmm. which is, like, such a downer way to look at it. Okay, Mr. Hart. And I don't, I, like, took, I had, like, a full moment with myself <laughs> at home because I was, like, reading it and I was, like, why does that make me so angry? And I was, like are studying astrophysics and awe of the unknowableness of the universe and like this is like so against the whole heart of studying space like you can't just be like oh we can't see it so it's not there like that's you don't get to do that in astrophysics go do biology right do anything else like you can't do space math and be like because i can't see it it's not there 80 percent of our universe we can't see and we mathematically know that it's there like what are you doing heart yeah Thanks for I'm your research, you. but, like, fuck you, dude. I'm with you. <laughs> it made me so yeah, angry. Like, oh, as a matter of principle, point of studying Exactly. If that's what you think, if that's, like, how you draw conclusions, then go into it, do something else. Mm-hmm. It's, like, bum me out so much, man. Like, this is my shit and your shit. What a bummer. You're, such a, you're really harshing my mellow, man. <laughs> harshing my space math mellow. Um, okay, so... I'm going to give you the theories as to why we haven't seen them. Teenage boys with a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's number two, actually. Oh, okay. Um, That voter fraud. Oh, her emails. Her emails. (laughs) Um, No, what did they do to Edgar Allan Poe? Uh, Cooping. Cooping? (laughs) Teenage boys with a gun. What is it? Is that is cooping when you make someone vote in multiple places? Yeah. I fucking think that's so funny. <laughs> You're like street gangs street with, gangs with for like democracy. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. So, the first one is um, the rare earth hypothesis, yeah. which is that the conditions needed for the evolution of intelligent life are so rare. Like if you, I do this a lot and it it hurts my brain, but if you think about all of the things that had to happen early on in earth's life Mm -hmm. for even like any eukaryotic cells to form, it's so rare that maybe it is unique. This is the theory that I ascribe to the most is that like, it's sorry, am I interrupting? No, no, no. Can I talk? That it's rare enough that if it has ever occurred anywhere else, the chance then that of progressing to all the stages in order to become observable to us, it would be mathematically highly unlikely. If it's that rare and there was an Earth just like ours 100,000 years before the existence of like human civilization here, we would never know about it. Well, that's part of what this is about, because if it's, let's say it's, you know, like a hundred poorly, it was off by like a smidge, but it would take so long for anything they transmitted to even reach us. Sure. So if they existed a hundred thousand years ago, it, if they sent something in this direction but by chance, can it you wouldn't imagine... even have gotten here. What if they existed like two million years ago 
and they sent out radio waves that got here like the day before we invented the radio. That would be so cruel. <laughs> I have never like thought of that, zone. and that makes me want to jump off a bridge. We did missed I, it by did like I whoever. Just twilight yes. zone you? Yeah. I think about it like. Oh, you're not gonna like my ultimate theory then, because I have an ultimate theory that's along those lines. Oh, my theory is that, and I th- like think about this all the time. Um, mathematically, it is rare for conditions to create a human. I don't think that we are the only way that life can be intelligent. Oh my god, I fucking hope not. (laughs) I think truly, this is my scientific opinion. You don't think they're carbon-based? I don't think they're carbon-based, but I think the movie that got closest to representing what aliens might look like is Xenon the sequel. That's incredible. I'm not going to challenge truly, you. It's genuinely, because they fly in those like floopy spaceships mm-hmm. that like are flexible and look like butterfly mm-hmm. aliens. And then they like communicate via like they like go in and they're like basically a cloud of particles. Yeah. And then they communicate telepathically. And it's like. Like fart from Rick and Morty. It's fart. <laughs> or fart and what's that Xenon. Amy Adams movie? Oh, Arrival. Um, Arrival. Love that movie. Don't know why everyone hated that I movie. I love so much. that movie. But I think that also could be. Yeah, I don't think conviction. that they're humanoid. No. I'm sure they. I mean, like in an arrival, don't they don't experience humanoid. time the way we do. No. You know? I just don't think they're yeah. anything like us. Yeah. So the rare. That's where I find a problem with the rare earth hypothesis right. because it's like we're not. It I have to create. Why human are we life. looking for an earth? Right. Right. You know. Anyway. Um. I, wait. What's your th- ultimate theory? I'm going to tell you later. Okay. Because um, what if you, you may debunk it, and then if you do, I'll tell you that you debunked it. Oh, okay. Um, the next one is, there is extraterrestrial life, but it isn't intelligent yet. Because life has existed on Earth for 4 billion years, but mm-hmm. our genus is only 3 million years yeah, old. Yeah, right. So, like, this one scientist named Charles Lineweaver Line said... <laughs> Dolphins have have had about twenty million years to build a radio telescope, and they have not done so. <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, excellent leave point. the dolphins alone!" But excellent point. They don't want to. It proves the point. Yes, quite exactly. Well, though. Also, um, you know, like mosquitoes have just been around exactly like that since the fucking dinosaurs, and like yeah. since before the dinosaurs. And they're like, and also, fine. can we talk about ferns? I, no. Do ferns no, freak you out? No, we can't talk about ferns. ferns truly. freak me out. I, you know how I'm afraid of plants? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that. Big Kayla leaves. Kayla has a phobia just... of big leaves. But I feel like it's starting to maybe, you're starting no, to ferns. equivocate with other plants. No, ferns are, it's like giant leaves and ferns. Ferns scare the shit out of me. <laughs> they're freaky, they're, right? They're intelligent. And they've been, yeah, and they've been around the whole fucking time and they and know they something. Know, and they fucking know they something. They know something and they're talking about us behind our backs and I don't like and it. And at night they roll up. Stop it. <laughs> like a little stop, uh, stop. Nightmare Before Christmas I hill. I hate it. Or like a Grinch I mean, it's foot. incredible and fascinating and science is amazing, but I hate but ferns. I don't see them building nothing neither. I ain't never seen a fern with a radio. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the ferns got the one alien transmission? <laughs> and they were like, Don't No, that's tell what them. fucking happened. The fucking fucking aliens came here like the- sixty million years ago and they just saw the ferns and were like, Nope, 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 not doing that. Those are big ass <laughs> leaves over there, and that's a fucking fern. I'm not here for it. Those things know something. I hate this fucking planet. Just think about it. If you yeah. and I went to like some other planet and it was covered in 
fucking ferns and giant ass leaves and giant which is leaves. absolutely what I'm it talking would be like immediately in. pre-dinosaur so yes, it's like there's exactly. stuff in the ocean but it's mostly just fucking Jurassic fern nature yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like nope nope fuck this green ass planet not. let's get out of here Ab- it's just mosquitoes and ferns yeah no My wonder nightmare. they fucking no wonder they left yeah and then they like sent the other ones. They like they, they were like, do you like guys want to go check out Earth? They like, probably did like a drive by, like we do with um in real estate, like when you want to look at a house without actually like bothering yeah. anybody. They like drove by and they were like, mm, no, not for me. No, well, green. It's a little too. It's getting a lot of natural light on that side, and I really, <laughs> I need. <laughs> also, I don't know about this neighborhood. Like, who knows who can move in? It's west facing, so. <laughs> It, like, gets a lot of natural light, but it's, like, the other side is just, like, completely dark. And, and then they do another drive-by, like, now, and they're, like, oh, that, it really, really Because some planets have, like, six moons, and it's, like, fucking bright at night. I know. And I, why would you want to hang out here? Yeah. I like the dark. Yeah. Um, okay. We solved it, did we not? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, that's the end. Um... The another one is that there are intelligent species, but they don't have the technology to communicate yet. Um, so we wouldn't be able to detect them to de- detect them unless we like went in with a probe, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't even know how. So in that theory, we are the most intelligent so far. Yes, I doubt that. <laughs> Problem. We're not that far. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> um, and then there is the water world hypothesis, which is. It may be that because we're so close to our sun, we have an anomalously oxygen-rich atmosphere, um, and then we also have anomalously little ocean for a world that has water on it. Um, we're 32% continental mass, which could just be very high for a, a planet that has water. Um, an author named David Brin, who writes like science fiction stories based on like scientific principles which i think is pretty cool he wrote a book uh, that's like based on the fermi paradox and he said in an interview in the water world hypothesis the evolution of creatures like us with hands and fire and that sort of thing which i that's two very interesting things to pick may be rare in the galaxy, in which case, when we do build starships and head out there, perhaps we'll find lots and lots of life worlds, but they're all, like, Polynesia. Meaning, lots of water, little tiny pieces of landmass. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, I had to think about that one for a second. Which I would, was like, what are you talking about? Which would change exactly. the evolution of, like... He said, we'll find lots and lots of intelligent life forms out there, but they're all dolphins, whales, squids, who could never build their own starships. I was going to say, super interesting, though, because who says that underwater intelligent life couldn't... Exactly. It would probably be easier to create a craft... Oh, because you would need no, fire? You would, no, Do you, you need fire, though? You would need to find some way to harness Pro- energy. Some propulsion system. Just any way to harness energy. I don't know how you would do that underwater, but I, I guess we could issue. ask Triton. I see the issue. Okay, go on. Um... He goes, what a perfect universe universe for us to be in, because nobody would be able to boss us around, and we'd get to be the Voyagers, the Star Trek people, the Starship Builders, the policemen, and so on. I don't really know if I like this guy. <laughs> I'm so tired. That's such a fucking white man way to think about that it. That is exactly what I was thinking. It's, it's, He's like, how pleasant for us. We're uh, the colonialists. We get to be in charge. Hooray. I'm like, even the black people are colonialists <laughs> in our world. I want to go meet a fucking alien. I want to hang out. I want to do math with you. 
no, no, we are the policemen no, of the galaxy. I love that that's the main thing he wants to be, too. Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you, David. Fucking narc. Narc. <laughs> Man, <laughs> fucking cops are on so here. So annoying. Um, okay. Fuck the police. <laughs> fuck the space police. <laughs> Don't, do not put this on record. <laughs> if this ever comes up in a trial, that's not going to be funny. <laughs> I know. Um, another one is that it is the nature of intelligent life to eventually destroy itself. Yeah, that's, that's tied into my theory. Um, the theory is basically like soon after discovering radio technology and space exploration, so they'll just like nuke each other or something into oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is we are just too far away from the other intelligent life for either of us to ever make contact before While we both go extinct. Al- right, right. Yeah. While they're alive. Which would be really sad. Mm-hmm. But it's just, ugh, my problem with it is that the universe is so big. And by that I mean it's infinite and expanding. So mm-hmm. it's like unfathomably large. That there, it has to be out there. But like, move next a, door. Is there a hypothesis that like, um, I'm going to use like a geographic reference in terms of scale, mm-hmm. is there a possibility that we are so far away, but we're like Hawaii and there's like an entire like North and South America of intelligent life that's just like a little too far away for us from us? So there's like hundreds of other planets mm-hmm. with intelligent life that's that are all one. kicking it, but we, ju- just our planet, we just is like too far in away. the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I mean, that's and basically No one knows on we one. exist until the 50s. Yeah. We're just like an isolated society until like the fucking like millennium Mm -hmm. essentially in terms of like a scale yeah that's just a variation on that theme it's sad that's sadder than what i said though because in my in mine it was like hawaii and like fiji and you did hawaii (laughs) and the rest of the (laughs) god yeah that is really sad that's what i'm saying like what if they're all having a party yeah what if it's like fully rick and morty over there and we're we're over here like um a billionaire con man is president we can't get him out of office (laughs) and we can't get away we can't get away we got to the moon and that's it we sent a robot to mars and it lived there for like 10 years and then it said a poem and died (laughs) we all cried about it um okay another one that also makes me sad is that everyone is listening so no one is transmitted. Like, we're surrounded by other civilizations, but all of us are just, just like, like... have our ear to the ear door. Ear to the door, but it's just, like, two cups on either side of the door. <laughs> listening. That seem right to me, though, because don't we just, like, say shit all fucking day long? Well, it's... Out into the universe? We're just like, hello, it's hi, mom, our, mom, mom. Our mom. radio waves and, like, TV and stuff... Is like just has only existed for like however many years, seventy years. So it's just now starting to even like move. Right. It wouldn't have had time to reach. What's the thing though that we? Isn't there like a thing where we're uh, the golden record sending? Oh. Well, yeah, that's a good example. But aren't we constantly sending like on repeat a message from into from space? He's dating someone who doesn't know what the golden record is, and that she is dating someone who won't watch Ninety Day Fiance with her. I know. And then everyone else at the table, and I piled onto him because at that point I didn't care anymore, and we were like, "You're a fucking idiot. Watch that goddamn that show." Amazing. And you read a book. <laughs> <laughs> and you. Ask your boyfriend some questions about his life. Or his tattoos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, okay. Also, I just think I'm going to make a new bio for our show, which is like, Kayla, like, 
with her degree in astrophysics and Maggie, who doesn't have one of those, <laughs> talk about aliens and murder mysteries. Okay, so the golden record is one of two. And, well, okay. One was on Voyager 1 and one was on Voyager 2, obviously. Okay. So the Voyager 1 probe is currently the farthest human-made object from Earth. They've both reached interstellar space. Um, and there's a, <laughs> there's a little plaque on it. Mm-hmm. And the golden record is actually super fucking cool looking. It has... Um, you should get tattoos of it. I absolutely am planning on it. It's on my list of tattoos that I'm going to get. Grams of like... It makes it sound like our planet is just children. <laughs> <laughs> Hello from the children of Earth. We killed the others. <laughs> Our was... parents tried to tell us it was bath time, and we killed them all. I didn't want to take a nap. Kennedy, 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 <laughs> Kennedy. Um, so they have um, images of humans. <laughs> I hate this. And it's just like the little like fake Dutch children and like the the mermaid child. Why they got child, a little Dutch one. And then like a little like Chinese and that elephant. Hat. Yeah, an Indian child. Um. So the uh, golden record has um a picture of the solar system, of human DNA, of human anatomy, um, animals, insects, plants, landscapes on Earth. Um. All this. They have a bunch of music on there. Bach, Mozart. Beethoven, Stravinsky, um, Chuck Berry. I'm so glad we sent this out in 1960-whatever and not in, like, 1995. Can you imagine if it was, like, a VH1, VHS like, tape? Of, like, the real world. Of, like, the real world and, like, Nirvana, who I love but still should not be on the golden record, and, and like, fucking uh, and, like, can you imagine? That would be amazing. Or oh now God, it would just be a bunch of TikToks. Ew, Thank God it great. wasn't Vines. I love a Vine. Me too, but that's not what I want space to think about that's us. Our, those are our best soldiers. <laughs> it's just that one guy. What's the name of the one guy that does, like, the story time? Oh, God. It's I don't just like that. Those. I don't like those. Um, I didn't know this. It also carries an hour-long recording of the brain waves of a woman during which she thought of a bunch of stuff. That's cool. I think that they were theorizing that aliens could read brainwaves. Yeah. So they were like, this ought to do. They have a... um, The pioneer plaque is what people get tattoos of. And it has, like, the... um, The pulsar map and hydrogen molecule diagram. And, like... God, it's so fucking cool. Did I ever tell you about, like, the worst... um, date question interaction I ever had. With oh, like God, a, please do. Like, probably the first, like, app date I ever went on of, like, the five that I've ever been on because I hate that stupid shit. But, like, I went on, like, the first date from, like, a dating app that I ever went on. And do you remember it was that guy who was, like, a preschool teacher or something? And so I, like, thought that was cool until I met him and then I realized <laughs> that he was, like, just not not for me, but... He asked me, he was like, this was around the time that they, like, announced that they were interviewing for, like, the from Mars. The, Mar- the manned mission to Mars. And he was like, would you go to Mars? And I was like, no, because there's no return trip. And he was like, you wouldn't want to, like, explore space? And I was like, no, because you definitely would die in space. And I just don't have any desire to die in space. Like, I have a lot of shit left to do here. And I would not want to, like, at age 26 or whatever I was at the time, like, get on a rocket and go to Mars. And I just wouldn't want to do that. And he was like... Oh, I would. And I was like, okay. Okay. (laughs) 
And then that was like the whole conversation. And then I think we both were just like so upset. Why is he? <laughs> I don't know. Why couldn't he could have just been like, I just think it would be amazing to like, you don't have to like have a thing about it. It was weird. Cause I was like, I don't want to die in space. And he was like, I would go. <laughs> and I was like, well, then why are you on a date with me? Or is it because of the date with me? Who's is it because of this? Thing? Like, he's like, well, now I now would. I, would go. I was like, yeah, I think I changed my mind. <laughs> now I'm going to fucking Mars, but only if you're not there. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I would do it. Yeah, that's fair. I have way too much anxiety. I couldn't even get on the shuttle. I have dreams about space travel all the time. You should travel in space. I know, Doesn't but mean you have to go live on well, Mars. Well, my thing is I, I, I wouldn't want to come back. If I ever get out of Away our from <laughs> atmosphere, I don't... Cause, not because, like, <laughs> I don't want to go back here, but, like, I think existentially I wouldn't be able to handle it. Like, I don't think... Mm-hmm. I do this already now where I'm like, we are so small... Because I already just, like, did a bunch of space math for yeah, four years. how do you go to the moon and come back and then just, like, get coffee? That's part of, like, people talk about that. Astronauts talk Can about, imagine like... imagine being friends with Buzz Aldrin and being yes. like, hey, do you want to... Gra- do this math. And then we all started doing the math. And then we kind of, like, started looking at each other, like, what does this mean? <laughs> and basically, he was showing us the existence of dark matter. No. So he was basically he was like calculate the mass of the planets and what the gravity should be and then here's what the gravity is and we were all like kill Uh-oh. me. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't handle it. That's hilarious. Hilarious. And that's where and I went to my advisor and I was like something happened. He was like did you take your first astrophysical class? And I was like yeah. And he was like are you having an existential crisis? And I was like yeah. And he was like do you want to quit? And I was like no. <laughs> <laughs> um okay. So everyone is listening but no one is transmitting. Uh, uh, the next one is they're transmitting on a wavelength that we are just mistaken yeah. for background noise. Um, Carl Sagan said that like they might have thought process orders that are like magnitudes of order h- slower and faster than ours. So if they're transmitting things on their thought process, it's like AM level, FM. Yeah, like we're listening we're on just, FM and they're yeah, on AM. Exactly. Yeah. Horrible. Hate that. <sighs> Hate that. And then there's the zoo hypothesis, which is that intelligent extraterrestrial life exists and does not contact life on Earth to, like, protect its growth. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that. It's but I've, so I've never heard it called the zoo hypothesis. I've always heard it referred to as, like, a Petri dish. Like, to, oh, to them, we're, like, a Petri dish. Yeah, and, and they they're just, just like, want to see, see what, what happens. happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's possible that there's a civilization that's advanced enough to travel between solar systems and is just actively visiting or observing Earth, but remaining undetected or unrecognized. And that includes, you know, interdimensional beings or fourth dimensional beings. Yeah. I think it's possible that there is extraterrestrial intelligent life that just exists on literally a different plane than we yeah, do. totally. Like Flatland. Yeah. I fucking love Flatland. And then there's the two obvious answers that are probably it's probably one of these two one they are here and the government doesn't want us to know mm-hmm. or two they are here they're just running the simulation hate that hate, hate that. that thank you thank Don't you, you hate, that. hate that hate that thanks there thanks i hate it thanks i hate it um okay what's your theory my theory is that there have been like all essentially like a, an infinite number of <clears throat> planets with intelligent life going back to the Big Bang, like however many that would take up until now to make sense 
temporally. And each thing, each one, this, I, okay. So the reason that I thought, so I thought about this like six or seven weeks ago because at some point someone, they were talking about how they found like, like evidence for the existence of water on Mercury previously, like that there Mm -hmm. may have been water Mm -hmm. on Mercury. And then back then I developed the theory that there have been planets with intelligent life, like dating all the way back to the big bang, but each one of them has destroyed its own planet just in time to like miss each other. Mm -hmm. So just like hundreds of, or whatever, like tens of, or thousands of, species exactly like ours that have all lasted about the same amount of time because right around now is when they start burning their Amazons and, mm-hmm. and there's ahead of humanity and they're like, hi. And it like destroyed itself. And they're like, hi, we have like really important information. The government is like, don't tell anybody, but keep investigating this. And it's a show about them investigating cool. that civilization and the character that he wrote for me, um, goes to Comic-Con and sleeps with a guy and then the government finds out and kills him because she, she like, it. violated her NDA. And that's I was incredible. like, that's absolutely correct. And I don't know, I think he sold it to someone and I don't know what's happening with it anymore and I want it so bad. I love that. It's so good. If I still have it, I'll send it to you. Anyway, cut that out. Okay. But it's good. You're editing this episode. Says who? I edited, up the, I edited the last one. Oh, you're right. All right. Do you want to do They're Made of Meat? Yeah, I think we should do They're Made do of Meat. Do you want to be A or B? First or second? First. Okay. Wait. I can't tell. Do you want to be the one who has the facts or is questioning it? I don't know. I just think about when you and I do two monks. I was thinking of two monks as well. Can we do an episode where we just do two monks? Yeah, but you need the pictures. Like, right in front of you. Oh, you're right. Remember, this isn't a visual medium. Yeah, I forgot. (laughs) We'll read some two monks though. After I think this. I think I like being the one that asks questions. Okay, I think great. it's funny when yeah. you get the facts. So this is a short story. It's actually yeah okay. This is a short story by Terry Bisson from 1991. And now they're made of meat. They're made out of meat. 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 They're made out of meat. Meat. Well, there's no doubt about it. We picked several from different parts of the planet, took them aboard our recon vessels, probed them all the way through. They're completely meat. That's impossible. What about the radio signals? The messages to the stars? They use the radio waves to talk, but the signals don't come from them. The signals come from machines. So who made the machines? That's who we want to contact. No, they made the machines. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Meat made the machines. That's ridiculous. How can meat make a machine? You're asking me to believe in sentient meat. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. These creatures are the only sentient race in the sector, and they're made out of meat. Maybe they're like the Orphalae, you know, a carbon-based intelligence that goes through a meat stage. Nope. They're born meat, and they die meat. We studied them for several of their lifespans, which didn't take too long. Do you have any idea of the lifespan of meat? Spare me. Okay. Maybe they're only part meat. You know, like the Wedelay, a meat head with an electron plasma brain inside. Nope. We thought of that, since they do have meat heads like the Wedelay. But I told you, we probed them. They're meat all the way through. No brain? Oh, there's a brain, all right. It's just that the brain is made out of meat. So what does the thinking? You're not understanding, are you? The brain does the thinking. The meat. Thinking meat. You're asking me to believe in thinking meat. Yes, thinking meat. Conscious meat. Loving meat. Dreaming meat. The meat is the whole deal. Are you getting the picture? Oh my god. You're serious then. They're made out of meat. Finally, yes. They are indeed 
made out of meat. And I've been trying to get in, and they've been trying to get in touch with us for almost a hundred of their years. So what does the meat have in mind? Well, first it wants to talk to us. Then I imagine it wants to explore the universe, contact other sentient, swap ideas and information the usual. We're supposed to talk to meat. I mean, that's the idea. That's the message they're sending out by radio. Hello, anyone out there? Anyone home? That sort of thing. They actually do talk then. They use words, ideas, concepts. Oh, yeah. Except they do it with meat. I thought you just told me they use radio. They do. But what do you think is on the radio? Meat sounds. You know how when you slap or flap meat, it makes a noise? They talk by flapping their meat at each other. They can even sing by squirting air through their meat. Oh my god, singing meat. This is altogether too much. So what do you advise? Officially or unofficially? Both. Officially, we are required to contact, welcome, and log in any and all sentient races or multi-beings in the quadrant without prejudice, fear, or favor. Unofficially, I advise that we erase the records and forget the whole thing. I was hoping you'd say that. It seems harsh, but there's a limit. Do we really want to make contact with meat? I agree 100%. What's there to say? Hello, meat. How's it going? But will this work? How many planets are we dealing with here? Just one. They can travel to other planets in special meat containers, but they can't live on them. And being meat, they only travel through sea space, which limits them to the speed of light and makes the possibility of their ever making contact pretty slim. Infinitesimal, in fact. So we just pretend there's no one home in the universe? That's it. Cruel. But you said it yourself. Who wants to meet meat? And the ones who have been aboard our vessels, the ones you've probed, you're sure they won't remember? They'll be considered crackpots if they do. We went into their heads and smoothed out their meat so that we're just a dream to them. A dream to meat. How strangely appropriate that we should be meat's dream. And we can mark this sector unoccupied. Good. Agreed. Officially and unofficially. Case closed. Any others? Anyone interesting on that side of the galaxy? Yes, a rather shy but sweet hydrogen core cluster intelligence in a class 9 star in the G445 zone. Was in contact to galactic relation rotations ago and wants to be friendly again. They always come around. Why not? Imagine how unbearably, how unutterably cold the universe would be if one were all alone. That made me sad. I'm lonely now. We're made of meat. We're meat. Does it make you feel better to know that everyone's just embarrassed of us, but they <laughs> yeah. are out there? So we're actually not alone. We're just like... They're just like, ugh. We're just embarrassing. If we were better, they would be... <laughs> they would talk to us, probably. <laughs> That's how I feel about myself. Also, while we were recording that, did you hear that weird boot noise? Mm-hmm. What was that? I don't know. Aliens? Hi. Oh, hi. Government? Oh, Plane? probably. It's probably fucking government. Ufa? No, I bet it's the government. It's Franklin, I bet. I wish we could just, like, cut to the exterior where it zooms out, and it's like... I just love the idea of you us, be, us you being like... And you being like, oh, it probably is the government. And he's like, and oh, it's just like oh, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. Quacks art. We did it. We did it. We did space math, and we had covered, like, a lot of college courses tonight. Everything from art history to space math. Or programming. Me too. Next week, I'm going to do one that's even more existentially troubling. No, no. Do you want to know what it is? No, 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 no. It's what happens when we die. No, no. (laughs) Don't do that. No, I would never do that. Because I'll be killing you, and you'll be finding out. (laughs) We'll solve that mystery real quick. Um, I almost did... I almost did Why Do We Need Sleep. It's really interesting. I know because I've watched too many documentaries about it. It stresses me out. 
I, I won't sleep after. If we do that episode, I won't sleep. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to subject you to any more equations thank for a you. while. Thank you. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't really care if you liked it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really care a lot. <laughs> um, come back again next week for more quote-unquote regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny because our version, like our regularly scheduled programming is such irregular (laughs) programming. Yeah. But it makes me happy. Me too. I like a little bit of chaos. Please rate and review, um, even if you hated it, because then at least someone, you can warn some other poor soul before they get sucked in. Um, If if like Colby listens to this and is like, I hate that bitch, like, let us know. Yeah, that's fair. Please send us an email. It doesn't matter what it's about. We just like emails. We just like emails. Um, mysteryteamincorporated at gmail.com, spelled out like that. And then follow us on Instagram at mysteryteaminc. And get your shirts get and your shirts stickers from mysteryteaminc.com or um, from our link in our Instagram bio. Or you can just go to teespring.com slash stores slash mystery hyphen team hyphen inc. Great. So long. Stay in your lane. Buckle the buck up. We don't know. Smooches. Yeah. What did I say earlier? What was the new one? Yeah, fuck. Check your boot. Check your boot. (laughs) Check your boot. Good night. Good night.